Hi, and welcome to the church at Lake Mead, and this is our sermon podcast. Today is October 31st, and Pastor Brad Blakely wraps up our series on humility called Descending into Greatness with Part 3. Let's take a listen. Guys, we are in the third week in our series, last week in our series, um, Descending into Greatness. And uh, we've been kind of walking through this, uh, uh, this topic of humility. And I, I pray it's been just challenging, but also helpful to you. Um, and so we've had uh, a, lot of, a lot of fun. I've had a lot of fun. I've been thinking about like, oh man, you know, filtering through the topic all week long. Like, is this humble? Is this the way of the, of the, the mindset of Jesus? You know, as we kind of think through, like, what does that mean to really walk in humility and to descend into greatness as we've been talking about? Uh, this weekend was my twin's birthday and uh, they, just, they just love to be pointed out. They just love it, right? I'm gonna hear about this later, yeah. They turned 11 and uh, we had just so much fun. We went to Disneyland this last week, uh, came back last night and just had so much, so much fun. But while I was just kind of hanging out with the twins, going on the rides, you know, just being dad for a good chunk of time. Thank you guys, look at that. Oh, you, you didn't need to plug, oh, you did need to plug that in. Okay, I thought so. It's like, I thought you have some kind of witchcraft going on up here. You don't need to plug that in. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, so uh, just being with my girls and, and kind of being dad, you know, I was kind of thinking about what would be a fun way to introduce the sermon on a family Sunday. Of course, every dad has a good arm of, you know, good like batch of like dad jokes. So here's a couple of dad jokes kind of kick it. Yes, you're going to be. Yeah. So why don't mummies have friends? Because they're wrapped up in themselves. Okay. Where does a mummy go on vacation? The Dead Sea, of course. Right. Come on. What do eye doctors, Pat, this for you. What do they give out on Halloween? Uh, candy corneas. No, stop. I'm hearing stop from the front of the row here. Uh, no, no, we're not stopping. How do you, bro- how do you fix a broken jack-o'-lantern? A pumpkin patch, of course. Come on. Yep. Okay. Yep. And this one, <laughs> those ones I, you know, scoured the internet for. This one's original, which is really going to make you moan. I am so excited about this sermon that I'm going to preach on humility. It's going to be so good. It's scary. Get it? Get it? Yeah. No. Like I have, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> anyway, um, man, it was, it was really good to be, and just remind, you go on a little vacation with your family after you've been working hard for a, a good stretch and just so refreshing just to hang out with my girls. So thanks church for, for allowing me to do that. I know that uh, the last couple of days I, I was out of commission, but it was really good. Um, so we're talking about humility and we're talking about how hard it is sometimes to recognize your true self, right? And, and we did some stats, me and Mike were kind of looking at these stats about trends in America, um, about our own self-awareness. And this kind of reveals a lot about just how hard it is to see yourself objectively, right? So here's some stats around driving. They say that the average American driver rates themselves as excellent or very good. That's two thirds of us. 
So two thirds of us in this room rate our own personal driving as either excellent or very good. However, when we are asked about our neighbor, right? We always rank them at least half of the people don't know how to drive at all, right? So we think ourselves are good drivers, but we would say about 30% of Americans are, are, are good drivers. So that, that's a pretty low stat, right? When you ask the question about your uh, fellow like, you know, neighboring state, right? We would say that people from another state, about only 20% of them are good drivers, right? So if you, and we are neighbors to California, so we all agree with that. Californians do not know how to drive, right? I was just there, I was like, holy cow, right? Um, this, they, they, they did some polling about average, like the mindset of an average high school student about their leadership ability. And 70% of all high school students, uh, you know, referring to themselves, believe that they have above average leadership qualities, right? And um, when they asked about the ability to get along with others, 60% said they were among, among the top 10%. So again, you know, we really aren't seeing ourselves very clearly. 25% um, of all high school students believe they were among the top 1% of people who are able to get along with others. And it doesn't stop with high school students or drivers. They did an, uh, a, poll, a poll of college professors and 94% of all college professors rated themselves among the very best excellent teachers at their universities or colleges. So I think it just shows when it comes to like being objective and asking yourself like, you know, how I rate or how good of a driver or how good of a teacher I am, it's just really common that we aren't really objective, right? Humility seeing ourselves honestly or accurately is hard, it's difficult. And so as we think about this topic, as we think about, you know, like, what is my character? Am I a humble person, right? Am I really walking in humility, um, especially with people close to me? Uh, sometimes it's really hard to see yourself objectively or honestly. So as we start today, I just want you just to know on the outset, man, Lord, we're asking you to open our eyes to our own, our own self, right? So that's what we're gonna be doing today as, as we end up our topic on humility. We're asking ourselves, what does humility look like in our closest relationships? Last week, we looked at what does humility look like at work, in our public life. Today, we're looking at what does humility look like in our private life, in our home life, with our closest relationships, our closest friendships, our spouses, if we're married, our children, if we have those. You know, what does humility look like there? Two weeks ago, two weeks ago we said this. In God's kingdom, embracing humility is embracing greatness. And we talked about these three steps down that Jesus took. He descended into greatness as he left the glories of heaven, right? His status as, as a member of the Trinity, right? And he took upon himself our human nature. He took upon flesh, and he descended from that high status of, of divinity to take on our lowly status of humanity. And not only that, he became a slave, a slave that would give his life on a cross. And so we've been, we've been looking at that for the last couple of weeks. Um, I wanna say this as we review last week as well. We really tried to make the case at the end of last sermon that if you choose the path of humility, if we choose to cultivate this, this humility that Jesus demonstrated in our own life, it's truly the pathway to joy because humble people, they enjoy healthy relationships. They enjoy um, gratitude and curiosity and discovery. 
It takes humility to have those types of qualities where we, we are content with what we have instead of this drive for more and more that kind of keeps many of us just going on this rat race. A humble person's able just to say, man, I'm just receiving what God's given to me and I'm thankful for that. And I don't need to have, you know, this status that I hold on to to get other people to admire me. I, I'm just comfortable being who Jesus made me. That, that humility is something that brings so much joy into your life. And so today, as I said, we want to kind of look at our, our, our private lives. And I'm going to ask some hard questions. I'm going to talk about some difficult topics. Even though we have kids in the room, I think it's really helpful that we really ask ourselves, like, how can I cultivate this humility in my home? So I want to look at this text that we started with back in Philippians. This was where we started a few weeks ago. But at the very beginning of that chapter, we didn't, re we didn't read this part. So let's look at here. It says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Because humble people, they enjoy healthy relationships. They enjoy um, gratitude and curiosity and discovery. It takes humility to have those types of qualities where we, we are content with what we have instead of this drive for more and more that kind of keeps many of us just going on this rat race. A humble person's able just to say, man, I'm just receiving what God's given to me and I'm thankful for that. And I don't need to have, you know, this status that I hold on to to get other people to admire me. I, I'm just comfortable being who Jesus made me. That, that humility is something that brings so much joy into your life. And so today, as I said, we want to kind of look at our, our, our private lives. And I'm going to ask some hard questions. I'm going to talk about some difficult topics. Even though we have kids in the room, I think it's really helpful that we really ask ourselves, like, how can I cultivate this humility in my home? So I want to look at this text that we started with back in Philippians. This was where we started a few weeks ago. But at the very beginning of that chapter, we didn't, re we didn't read this part. So let's look at here. It says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Now, we have a series of kind of rhetorical questions and the answer to every one of these should be yes, right? Yes, there's encouragement from belonging to Christ. Man, yes, there's comfort from his love. The fact that I know God loves me is so comforting, right? Yes, there is fellowship together from the Holy Spirit. When he's in our life, he brings us together. And yes, hopefully, right? My heart's become tender and compassionate when I met Jesus. So here's what he goes on to say in verse two. He says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. So he's, he's praying for this church to be unified. He's praying for them to have this unity in this, in this church. He says, don't be selfish. That will destroy unity, right? Don't try to impress others. Instead, here it is, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. And in humility, value others above yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So we've been talking about the last three weeks, what you could call Jesus-shaped humility. This is this attitude that, that Jesus defines what humility looks like for a Christian, for a, for a Jesus follower. That Jesus shows us what humility looks like in the flesh. He demonstrates that for us. And the same attitude, the same mindset that Jesus had needs to be permeating my relationships with other people. 
And I want to remind you of that mindset. So look at the next verse. This was what we talked about a couple weeks ago. This is where we landed uh, in week one. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And we know that the next verse goes on to talk about how he takes upon the cross. He, he, he's willing to obey the father, even to the point of death, even death on a cross for you and for me. Now you may ask yourself, okay, so what, were, what are these letters in here for X, Y, Z? What's that all about? This is that X, Y, Z pattern that we see in this text. And actually we see it in other places in the New Testament. I did mention that on week one, but I want to hit it one more time. Though he, Jesus, had the status of divinity and he was entitled to certain privileges because of that status, instead of holding on to those privileges, he decides instead to let them go and serve. And so this XYZ status, this XYZ pattern, I'm sorry, um, should be the same pattern that we follow as a Jesus follower in our relationships. The same attitude is, although, and I was talking to Mike about this, and this is kind of an application of this. Although I'm dad, right? And as a dad, I can, I can order my kids around, right? That's my status and my privilege, right? Come on, dad. Can I get some amens in the room? <laughs> but as a dad, and I have that status and I have some privileges, what a humble father is going to do many times, instead of asking the kids to serve him, he's going to serve his children. Instead of asking the wife to do what he wants, he's going to serve his wife. That's, that's what a Christ-following, humble servant looks like. That doesn't mean, right, that you're a doormat, that you never have the kids, you teach them responsibility. Of course you're doing all that, right? But uh, uh, there, there should be a difference that Jesus makes as we humbly serve our families. And we're going to really kind of dive into that this week. So I want to ask you a question. If I were to talk to the three to five closest people in your life, and I were to ask them a simple question, and I were to say, how, how easy is it for so-and-so, put your name there, to say they're sorry after there's a, an offense? How easy is it for them to own up to something they've done wrong? When's the last time that you've heard them say, hey, um, I, I made a mistake and I need to own that, right? Or when's the last time they've, they've given in to you and what you wanted, right? Or is it kind of a all take and not much give relationship? Those are all kind of good litmus test questions to show us, is there humility at work in that person's life? And a lot of times, and I don't know why this is, but we seem to have a harder time treating the closest relationships in our life the right way. We can sometimes treat people at work better than we treat our own spouses or children. And I don't know why that is. I think it's just a, a flaw of the human nature, right? That we let our guards down and we're not quite as servant-minded and polite or whatever with our closest relationships. But friends, that shouldn't be the case. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, right. I wanna look at what Peter says specifically about this. And Peter's gonna look at the same example of Jesus and he's gonna apply it in the same way Paul is, but specifically to the family. Look what Peter says. It's in 1 Peter 2. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he, when he suffered, he made no threats. 
Instead, and this is key, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And that's referring to the father. So Jesus is, he's on the cross, he's suffering. And instead of threatening people who are hurting him, instead of trying to retaliate, Jesus models for us this humility of laying his life down. Very next verse, he says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. So Jesus is this example to us. Not only does he die on the cross for our sins and pays the penalty for our sins and makes it possible for us to be right with God. He also shows us an example of what laying your life down looks like. Now, we're not called to die on crosses like Jesus did, but we are called to carry a cross. And in, in many ways, laying our lives down on a cross is, is kind of demonstrated in how I treat my closest relationships. Many times the way a Christian lays their life down is, is when you kind of like know you could go there in that argument with your spouse. You know you could say that that would really trigger her or him because you know them best, but instead you bite your tongue and say, that isn't really helpful right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna swallow that pride of mine and I'm gonna humble myself and I'm gonna, I'm gonna apologize. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna walk away and cool off and, and not continue to, to keep the fight going. I'm, I'm gonna learn how just to say, I'm sorry when I know I've said or done something that wasn't right. You know, those are really humbling moments. Those are honestly, those are kind of crucified moments in our marriages. How many times do we, it's really hard when, you know, as a parent, you know, you messed up with your kids. You got angry. That's my, that's my sin. You know, I'll get angry and I'll have to go to my children and I'll have to just, you know, daddy, daddy was angry and I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Like that, that act of just humbling yourself and saying you're sorry to your, to your kids is something that's exactly what Jesus wants a Jesus follower to do when they make a mistake. You know, instead of pretending you don't make mistakes, unless maybe if that's you, you could leave right now because you probably don't need to be here at church, right? But the rest of us who constantly make mistakes, we need to have that kind of instruction that, hey, when I blow it, I need to, I need to humble myself. So Peter just described for the church he's writing this letter to about the example of Jesus, but now he applies it. And let's look at this application. He starts with the wives. In the same way, so following the example of Jesus, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. He goes on, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself, and this is going to be a key, key idea today. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and, and, and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Now, there's some things about this text that in today's modern you know, context, be kind of like, what is he saying? You know, are women supposed to just submit to the men? And what about abusive men? And, and there's a lot of questions that we could ask about this text and we need to, and we can. But for just context sake, I want to just make a couple of observations. In the first century, when Peter was writing, it was a very patriarchal society. And in that patriarchal society, men kind of ruled. So Peter is giving women 
Smart advice of navigating a home situation, especially in a relationship where you're married to someone who's not a Jesus follower. I wanted to try to give Peter a little sympathy here as he's trying to pastor these women because we can kind of judge, what are you saying that for? But I wanna remind us here, if you were in the first century and you as a woman decided to become a Jesus follower, that could be a real threat to your husband. What are you doing going to that church? I don't know about that church. And is that being disloyal to me and to what our family's about and to the, and to the gods of, of Rome or whatever? And so Peter is saying to these ladies who are married to unsaved husbands, they're saying, listen, in that context, here's what you need to do. You need to so wear the gospel that when your husband sees you, he isn't gonna say, man, I don't like you going to that church. In fact, he's gonna say, man, I don't know what's happened but ever since you've been following this Jesus rabbi guy or whoever, like I've seen such a difference in you. Instead of directly challenging your husband and trying to like fight him right head on, Peter's instructing the women there to take the softer approach, to take the approach that says, look, I'm gonna just show you the difference the gospel makes. Rather than like shame you or judge you, I'm just gonna serve you. And in that way, I'm gonna win you over by just showing you the gospel. Again, that doesn't mean you don't, you, you don't ever be assertive. Of course, there are times you need to be assertive in a relationship. But as a rule, what Peter's saying is, ladies, if you will just demonstrate the gospel in that way, you will have such a powerful influence on your husband. He'll be won over. But the text doesn't stop there. Guys, you're not off the hook. Here's what he says. In the same way, you husbands, you must honor, you must give honor to your wives. This is gonna get really radical for that first century audience. You must give honor to your wives, treat your wives with understanding as you live together. She may be the weaker, like physically, she may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Now, this is powerful language in that first century. For a first century text to say that women were equal to men was unheard of in antiquity. For, for, for the women to, to read that they are equal partners in this new gift of life was radical stuff. Now, of course, we take that for granted today, but in that day, that was not taken for granted. So for, for Peter to, to tell these Christian men that they are to treat their women with honor, they are to treat their women as equal partners was radical stuff. There's more into this text even, not appropriate for our crowd today, right? But a lot about learning to live with your wife with understanding, there is a specific and distinct way a Christian husband should be relating to his wife. And it was totally different than the Greco-Roman world of that day. Women and men in this Christian context are to submit to each other. It wasn't just one direction, wives submitting to husbands. It was also the husbands as they follow Christ, submitting to the needs of their wife in this co-equal, loving, humble relationship. So that was a picture that Peter painted for that, for that church. And he he kind of summarizes the whole thing in the very next uh, part. In verse three, verse eight, he says, finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. So that's, that's the bulk of the teaching. I want you to think about that today. Okay, what does that mean in my relationship? Am I, and I want you to ask yourself these questions, am I laying down my life? Am I laying down my privileges? 
Am I willing to let go of what I think I'm entitled to in my relationship, in my, in my marriage, or in my close friendships? I was talking to Eddie about this series. We were chatting about this. And I said, Eddie, you know, you've been hearing this series. I mean, tell me one thing you think really the church needs to hear. And he said, you know, Brad, he goes, from all of the counseling that I've done over the years and the, and the pastoring that I've done, he says, the thing that I think people need to hear is they need to stop keeping score in their relationships. And I couldn't agree more with that. I, I think when you're really cultivating the humble heart, then humility frees you from keeping score in that relationship. And you know what I mean by keeping score, don't you? It's like, well, I did the dishes, right? And now you do the dishes, right? Or I cleaned the car or I got the gas. In our house, it's all about the gas. Um, Michelle just doesn't believe in gas stations. And sometimes I'm just like, are you kidding? This, the range says zero. Like, I didn't know it could go to zero. Michelle goes, oh yeah, you can go at least three miles after zero. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? And so... But we can be, we can get caught up in the, in the scorekeeping, can't we? You know, in, this, in, in these petty little, I do this, you have to do that type of mentality. Instead of just having this attitude that says, I just want to serve you. I just want to serve you. And I just want to humble myself and do what you need and, and take care of the things that, are, that, that, you, that would really bless you and let God work on you about what you want to do for me. But I'm just, I'm just having that attitude of just, I want to serve you without keeping score. Colossians chapter three says this, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, here it is again, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness. And there it is again, humility. Over and over again, you see this, clothe yourself with humility. You're putting it on like a, like a, like a garment. Like I want to be known as a humble person who's following Jesus. Look at this next verse though. He says this, he says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. You know, so many times when pride is in our relationship and not humility, we don't make allowance for someone else's faults. Our spouse or our best friend or our children's, you know, annoying habits, they get on our nerves. And instead of being thankful for them, instead of being grateful for them, we're critical of them. Our, our relationships can get poisoned with that criticism. And instead of, instead of leaning in and saying, hey, I love you despite all the flaws you have, instead of remembering the flaws you have, right? Um, we become that way and that's not the way of Jesus. And so I wanna ask you, as we kind of wrap up our series and we wrap up this sermon, the last couple of weeks we've been saying humility is important. Humility is what Jesus demonstrated. Humility is what, bring, what ultimately brings joy into your life if you live a humble life. But you might by this time in the series be like, Brad, seriously, how do I grow in humility? Like I've tried to be humble and how do I do that? Let me, let me end today and end this series with just a couple thoughts about how practically to really become more and more humble in our life. I was talking to Chris about this and every month or two, Chris comes up with a good idea. So this was one of those good ones. Uh, but I was, asking, I was asking the team, I was like, okay guys, into the series, what do they need to hear? And Chris, he just said, Brad, he says, the thing I really feel like the church needs to hear about this is that humility comes when you hang out with Jesus. Humility comes when you let Jesus transform you by his presence. You know, James says that. So, it's not original, Chris. This was James. <laughs> Look at this. Humble yourselves before God. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Look at this. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Have you ever just kind of felt far from God? Have you ever felt like, man, I'm not close to God right now? And the way you know it is you're just irritated, you're anxious, your relationships aren't healthy. You feel maybe like you got this narrative in your head of all the ways you've messed up and you just don't feel close to God. And, and friend, I, I just wanna say, if that's where you're at right now, then right now is an invitation for you just to say, God, I, I wanna be in your presence. I wanna be close to you. Maybe, maybe for some, you need to just set a day aside to just fast and just say, God, I'm seeking you. Every time my stomach growls will be another reminder to just, just to pray. And God, I just need you. I, I wanna draw close to you because I want you to draw close to me. Let me say this to you guys. The presence of God, it humbles you. When you enter into God's presence, when you draw close to God and God draws close to you, you will automatically be humbled. The more you're in God's presence, the more you will be humbled. There is a direct relationship between God's presence and your pride. The more of your pride, the less of God's presence, but the more of his presence, the more you'll be humbled. And all those things, those tensions in your relationship, that it's so hard to overlook the flaws of others around us. Like I said earlier, sometimes we treat people closest to us worse, right? Partly because we're around them all the time, right? They have longer, more opportunities to irritate you, right? right? But the thing is, it's like, Lord, when I'm in your presence, you just supply the grace that I need to overlook the flaws, to humble myself, to forgive those who offend me and to take the high road, right? To say, I'm sorry and to lay down my life. My pride, here it is, and God's presence can't coexist. My pride and God's presence can't coexist. And so some of us need to start right there. If, if this series is kind of prompting you like, God, I want more humility, I really do then right where you need to start, it's like, God, I just wanna come into your presence, the presence of the most high God. C.S. Lewis, he put it this way. He says, when you come into the presence of God, you are coming into contact with the thing who is in every way immeasurably greater than you are. And that automatically humbles you. That's why pride is the anti-God state of mind, Lewis said, because in our pride, we are ignoring the fact that something so much bigger than us exists. And he goes on and he says, that's why people who are full, full of pride always look down and forget that which is above them. Man, that's a, that's a deep thought, isn't it? Like I'm looking down on all these people only to forget that there's something much bigger than me that's above me and I have no right to my pride and my arrogance. So as I wrap up today, I wanna, I wanna just give you some steps. Step one, come into God's presence. I like how Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3. He says this, he says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. That's coming into God's presence and you're just contemplating the glory of the Lord. You're saying, God, you are so big. I'm so small. God, you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. I'm contemplating your glory. I'm contemplating your love for me. And then the text says, being, you're being transformed as you do that. That's changing you as, you as you face the Lord. That's transforming you with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the, the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, you know, I love these, these diagrams. So I want to give you a diagram as we end today, a little visual learner. Before I do, I want to show you these two passages 
that I think kick it off. And it's the way James and the way Paul starts two of their letters. Look at this. This letter's from James. Let's all say this word. A slave. A slave of God and of the Lord Jesus. This letter is for Paul and Timothy. What is it? Slave. What did Jesus become for us? A slave. They're following the example of Jesus. If we started, I'm Brad, I'm a slave of Jesus. I'm a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a son, I'm a pastor, whatever role I am, but in every one of those roles, first, I'm a slave of Jesus. Not gonna be here demanding my privilege. I'm gonna lay aside it. So here's how I think it works out. Here's the diagram. You start with, with is a spirit-empowered action. That action. You say, God, I'm putting on the clothes of humility right now. I'm clothing myself in humility. I am a slave of Jesus this morning. This is how you pray in the morning when you wake up. And God, today I want to serve people. I'm going to start with my spouse or my best friends, whoever the closest people, there might be a relationship that I know is tense and I need to humble myself and say, I'm sorry. Whatever it is, because I'm, I'm a slave of Jesus, I'll do whatever the spirit of God leads me to do. So that's the first, it's a spirit empowered action. And that leads to the next one, spirit empowered motive. Actions alone are not enough. You need the right reason for those actions. So you say, God, I want you to purify my heart. As I serve my wife, I don't want to do it to keep score. I'm not keeping a tally in my brain. I'm just loving her because you loved me. You transformed me. I just want to love with no strings attached. So it's the right action. It's the right motive. And here's the third part. And it's over time. It's perseverance. Humility isn't cultivated in a weekend. You don't become humble in a month. This is going to be a long obedience in the same direction kind of thing. Every day I wake up, every day I put the humble clothes on. Every day I say, I'm a slave of Jesus. Every day I serve my family. When I mess up, I humble myself and I say, I'm sorry. When someone messes up, I overlook their flaws, right? Unless it's something I have to deal with. Obviously there's limits here, right? We're not saying you never address things. We're not saying that. Yes, you will address things. And yes, you have to be assertive, but you get the heart here, right? It's my pattern is a pattern of humility towards others. And I believe that results in spirit-empowered transformation. If I do the right thing for the right reason over time, pretty soon, I'm a new person. I'm a humble person. I, 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 I start to realize that I don't think the way I used to think about people. And that kind of leads me to the last point I want to make is, it's not just having a humble relationship with your spouse or your kids. It's also having a humble heart in your private thought life. It's, it's, it's the way you think about people. Even if you never say it, it's just the, the thought patterns. Instead of criticizing people you work with and having these you know, imaginary conversations where you tell them how dumb they are or whatever, right? Um, instead of having that, it's, it's, Lord, I'm praying for that person. He just, he cut me off on the freeway and I want to pray for him right now, right? And I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go to that critical spirit. I want to go to, God, I don't know why this person's homeless, but they, they probably have a terrible story. And 
instead of criticizing them or, or judging them, I want to just pray for them right now. And if there's a person you want me to serve and help, I want to be ready to do that. And, and, and if I have a fight with someone or someone's at work and they, rather than going and gossiping about them, I, I don't even bring it up what they did to me. I'll just pray for them. I'll just say, Lord, they're having a bad day. God, help me to not contribute to something in the workplace that's toxic. In my marriage, help me to just bite my tongue a little bit better and walk away when I need to and come back later. These are all things I believe that God can cultivate if we start with that mindset. Jesus, I'm your servant. Jesus, send me into your world to do what you did. You laid down your life on a cross. You laid aside your privileges so that I could be saved. Man, guys, let me say this, guys. Our relationship with Jesus should transform our marriages, our close relationships, and our parenting. Our kids, our spouse, our best friends should all know Jesus is the king of our life and it shows up in how we interact with them. That's descending 